Thanks to Casper for supporting the Motley Fool's industry focus. For $50 off any mattress, go to casper.com slash fool and then enter promo code fool. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. You're listening to the Financials Edition taped today on Friday, May 26, 2017. My name is Gabby LaPera, and joining me on Skype is John Maxfield, Motley Fool contributor and banking expert. Hey, John, how's it going? It's going great. How are you doing, Gabby? Really good. Thanks for joining me on a Friday. This is kind of a little bit last minute. Apparently, there is some studio work being done on June 5th, um, and so the studio will be closed. And so our our excellent producer, Austin Morgan, managed to squeeze me in on this Friday afternoon. And I really appreciate you too, John, because I asked you about this literally yesterday. Um, listeners, this is my third show of the week, so I am trying to hold it together. <laughs> uh, but I am actually your really, best. You're trying your hardest. I'm, try- I'm trying so hard, guys. Um, but no, I'm, I'm I am excited about the show. I think potentially I saved the best for last in terms of my awesome ideas for the podcast this week. And in, when I say awesome, my awesome ideas, I mean your awesome ideas, John. John really wanted to talk about Citizens Financial Group today. And I was like, sure, eh, whatever. I haven't really heard of them. And then I went and did a bunch of research and I was like, wow, this is so interesting. So I'm very pleased that we will be taking this opportunity to talk about them. Yeah, it's, it really is a good story. And, and to kind of give um, the listeners some kind of context behind it, I had a chance recently to have a conversation with Actually, a few different executives, to be honest with you, at Citizens Financial on two on a few different occasions. One of them, in the most really substantive, overarching conversation that I had, though, was with Bruce Van Son, which who is their CEO. Um, and we talked, we kind of talked through, you know, what it's been going through over the past few years. You know, what its objectives are going forward, and a whole bunch of stuff that I think um, investors will find interesting. Not only investors in Citizens Financial Group in particular, because there's a lot of interesting dynamics with the story. But more, even more importantly, it, 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 you know, it further helps to tease out just kind of how to think about banks, well-run banks, um, banks that are going tr- through transitions and things like that, just to give more context uh, to people who buy bank stocks. Definitely. Um, let's let's just like get straight into the story. Uh, Citizens Financial um, was actually spun off of the Royal Bank of Scotland, and the Royal Bank of Scotland is not the most. Uh, guilt-free financial institution, I guess you want, if you want to say it that way. Going into the financial crisis, like there, oh, mistakes were made, mistakes were made, and so Citizens Financial got spun off. That's right. So the the thing, so Citizens Financial was a relatively small bank when a few decades ago, the Royal Bank of Scotland purchased it. They invested it, boosted it up. It grew and grew and grew. It's now one of the largest banks in New England. Um, that's really its its stronghold. It's based in Providence, Rhode Island. It's got like $150 billion in assets now. But Royal Bank of Scotland, like so many other banks during the financial crisis, got into a whole bunch of trouble, um, you know, making bad loans, you know, making bad decisions, you know, strategically. And so they had to, after, you know, in the immediate wake of the crisis, they basically had to, at at, at the direction of regulators, had to basically shut down growth and just focus on retreating and retrenching and 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 which is not uncommon for banks in the financial crisis but the position that put citizens in is it put it at a real competitive disadvantage against a company like you know now Wells Fargo's in kind of a different 
place nowadays than it was back then, right? Because they had the whole fake account scandal last year. But, you know, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan Chase, these guys were able to continue growing and growing and growing. But Citizens, when it was still a subsidiary of the Royal Bank of Scotland, it was watching everybody grow. But because the restrictions on the Royal Bank of Scotland in terms of having to de-risk its balance sheet and shrink as opposed to grow, Citizens Financial was directly impacted by that. So that, and then it's in 2014 that it spun off in an initial public offering. So it went public. And it was the biggest um, IPO of a bank in the United States history. I think it, I, I can't remember exact, don't quote me on this exactly, but I, I think it has something like 130, $120 billion in assets when it went public. So it was Jesus. already a large bank when it went onto the markets. Yeah. Um, and it, it's so being a large bank has advantages and disadvantages. Um, one of the main disadvantages is that you're subject to a lot of regulatory stuff. So they're getting spun out from their parent company and kind of like dumped into the world um, in in not a great time for them. Because 2014 was like when things were kind of starting to turn around and look good for banks. Like, or, you know, I think a lot of banks were doing like, you know, OK by then. But Citizens was just it was it just came out in a really tough spot for a bank. <laughs> Yeah, it, it absolutely did. But, you know, I think you can look at that as like a glass half full and a glass half empty kind of perspective. And I, I, when I was talking to Bruce Van Son, I got the impression that he looks at as a glass half full uh, kind of from that perspective. And and here's why. because So like in the immediate wake of the financial crisis, one of the main things that really, really hit the banks. So you had the subprime mortgage crisis, right? And you had the subprime mortgages that hurt banks, but the, the banks that, that 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 really hurt were the ones who securitized those mortgages and then sold them in securities to other institutional investors. And then in the process of securitizing those and selling those, there were incorrect things said in those documents or misrepresentations, and that's what caused the losses at these really at, at these really, these big banks like uh, you know Bank of America and, and, and Citigroup. But if you look at a lot of the other banks throughout the country, the thing that really hit them was commercial real estate loans because these are like development loans, right? So it's just a piece of land that's priced up, you know, when the market is going really well, and then a bank will loan on that. And then if, if the market falls out, there's nothing on that property to back up, to, to act as, you know, really a, a, as effective collateral. And so one of the things that citizens, that Royal Bank of Scotland forced, you know, throughout its entire organization was, and I'm not sure if they completely stopped making, uh, uh, making commercial real estate loans or if they just throttled it significantly. But when citizens spun out of the Royal Bank of Scotland, it was like way behind in commercial real estate loans, way behind in mortgage loans, way behind in all of these, all of these other things, which meant that to a certain extent, there was only one direction to go and that was up. And we're starting to see that come through right now in citizens' performance. Yeah, um, and there, <sighs> The other thing that that you that you mentioned earlier was um, Vance on the CEO, and he's kind of been an angel for Citizens Financial. Like he's he is really the person who seems to be driving this new culture and these new ideas that are that are helping the bank in their turnaround story. Yeah, and. and Bruce Vanson has been an executive at a lot of different major institutions. And I talked to uh, Richard Beauvais, who if he's, I consider, he's one of the, 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 the most respected bank analysts in the country. He's a veteran bank analyst. He's been around. He's on CNBC all the time talking about banks. 
He writes notes to his clients every day. I get them. They're, it was very, I, I consider it to be pretty good commentary. And when I talk to uh, Richard about this, or he, he goes by Dick. Yeah, when I talk to Dick about this, what, I asked him, what do you think about Bruce Van Son? And he told me literally that Bruce Van Son is an excellent banker. Now, now, now mind you, the Bruce, Dick Beauvais is somebody who doesn't mince words when he doesn't like a bank CEO. So I consider it to be pretty high praise, and it really did corroborate kind of my thinking and help to crystallize my thinking on citizens and, and kind of back up uh, what the numbers were, were, were saying to me in terms of citizens' performance. Yeah, so why don't you talk a little bit about some of the stuff that uh, Vincent has done to improve citizens' position, like um, their recruitment efforts or uh, their tech investments, stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. So, so let me just let me just kind of paint a picture with some numbers for you. Okay. So last year, citizens grew its loan book by seven point seven percent. So about about eight percent. Okay. It's peer group average, which so these are other banks that are you know hundred, couple hundred million, few hundred, uh, a couple hundred billion, few hundred billion in assets. They grew their loans last year by five point four percent. So it outperformed on loan growth. So that's an important thing to keep in mind. Another is that the revenue, which it makes sense that the revenue grow fast because the main product a bank sells is loans. So if you're selling more loans, then you're gonna, your revenue is going to go up, right? Well, their revenue last year rose by 8.9% versus 5.4% for the, the average competitor. And then the efficiency ratio, which we talk about all the time in the context of banking on this show, which just tells you the percent of revenue that a, comp- uh, that a bank spends on operating expenses, it fell by 376 basis points, so by 3.76 percentage points. And I think it's now getting, it's now starting to close in on that 60% threshold um, that banks strive for. So if you look at those three metrics, which are really the, probably the most important metrics when, it turns, when you're in terms of <clears throat> analyzing, excuse me, a bank's performance, it had a really, really good year. So the question is, well, as a general rule, and I, I think this is a good way to, to think about things as an investor and just to think about things in general, to think about general rules and exceptions. And this is how lo- it's actually how lawyers are taught to think. And the general rule in the case of loan growth is that you want loan growth to be robust, but any time that loan growth outperforms the peer group average, you start you have to you have to look at that two different time, it, it kind of askance because the general rule is that loan growth that is too fast is concerning. Yes. Because it means that you're you're going out, you're making loans made people who shouldn't be getting them. Yeah, and then for listeners who are a little bit newer to banking, um, every time a bank makes a loan, you have underwriters who check to see like how risky is this person? Are they likely to pay back their their debt? Um, during the financial crisis of two thousand eight, banks were not very strict at underwriting, and you saw what happened. Um, so that's kind of the concern when you see super rapid loan growth. Do you think that that's what's happening here with citizens? Well, to to the point that to your question, Gabby, that your original question was that to talk about kind of the things that that they're that they are doing and the investment they they have made. See, I think that it's rapid it's it's rapid loan growth is more a function of not necessarily reducing the underwriting standards, which is kind of what you're you're referring to, and I was referring to in that general rule. It's more about the fact that it was so. Um, under concentrated in these loan groups relative to other banks that it just had a ton of a, a ton of 
uh, you know, upper progress or upward momentum that was just waiting for it to take advantage of. And, and so there's a, there's a, go on, sorry. Sorry, and real quick, um, the loan groups that you're talking about are the commercial real estate and like the, the regular just home loans, right? Right. Commercial real estate was one of the, is one of the main ones. Home loans is another one. And so basically what Citizens did is it just, once it spun off from Royal Bank of Scotland and it had more operational flexibility to make investments in the business and to grow as opposed to contract, what they did is they went out and hired, they almost doubled their staff of mortgage officers. So if you're going to double your staff of, you know, the number of people who are, you know, your loan officers, well, you should expect to grow a lot faster, right? And they're going out and, and they're going out and um, recruiting loan officers that deal with larger companies from other banks. And those loan officers from these other banks that have these large accounts are bringing those accounts over. So when you start to put all of those pieces together, you start to say, oh, okay, it makes sense then that its loan book is growing faster than its other book. And you don't, and it makes sense for reasons other than the fact that, you know, whether a bank is or is not uh, manipulating the underwriting standards. Definitely. And actually, before we turn to anything else that's part of this this turnaround story, um, I want to remind listeners that this episode of Motley Fool Industry Focus is brought to you by Casper. Um, Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the cost. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing that savings directly to the consumer. Casper's mattress is an obsessively engineered mattress at a very fair price. So even if you're tossing and turning thinking about your bank earnings, hopefully you'll sleep well on a Casper mattress. Uh, Casper is made of supportive memory foams for a sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Plus, its breathable design sleeps cool to help you regulate your temperature through the night. I love my mattress. It's super comfortable, and I've never slept better, especially when I compare it to my old spring mattress. I knew that it was time to replace that one when I realized that there was a huge furrow in the middle of the bed that made it impossible to stay on the side. You just kind of like rolled into the middle no matter what you did. Also, there's no more squeaky bed springs every time you roll over in your sleep. Like, seriously, it sounded like a chorus of rusty springs every time I shifted around, and it would wake me up because I would be so alarmed. I'd be like, what's in the room with me? It's just my mattress. (laughs) Um, Anyway, you can buy a Casper mattress online easily and completely risk-free. Casper understands the importance of truly trying out a mattress that, in all reality, you're going to spend about a third of your life on. Casper offers free delivery and painless returns within a 100-day period. So you don't have to lie down in a showroom. And did you know, statistically, lying on a bed in a showroom has no correlation to whether it is the right bed for you. Casper's mattresses are made in the USA, so that's something you can definitely feel good about. Free shipping and returns to U.S. and Canada, you can save an additional $50 towards a mattress purchase by going to casper.com fool and entering the promo code fool. That's casper.com fool and promo code fool. Okay, so turning back to Citizens Financial, which hopefully is not giving investors nightmares this, these days, let's talk a little bit about some of the tech investments that they've made. And, you know, we talked about tech investments a few shows back. I feel like it was about a month ago. But just to kind of add some context around this, right now the bank industry is going through a very significant shift towards digital banking. Um, And so the banks that are going to survive into the future, you know, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, 50 years down the road, have got to navigate this kind of digital transformation effectively in order to make it. So, so that's just, just keep in mind that that is a really important context. So 
there are a number of different ways and different technologies that a bank needs to pursue in order to navigate this digital divide. One of which is just like, you know, having an effective digital app, right? A digital a presence online, an effective digital app that provides a really good customer experience is something that Citizens has invested in. Another thing is cloud computing. Cloud computing reduces the costs of, of storing customer data and accessing that data and using it for you know additional you know to grow you know to, 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 for analytical purposes to grow your business in the in the future. Um, there's also another thing th that um, Citizens Financial has gotten into, and just more recently, in fact, I was just talking to the head of the wealth management uh, just recently about this. They are pushing into the robo advisory space, which is basically. It's, it, it just manages, it's, it's basically, um, it's like an algorithmic program that manages your investments. And these things are just blowing up across, I mean, you have Wealthfront, Betterment, you have Schwab has gone into the space, Vanguard's gone into the space, Bank of America's coming into the space. Everybody's kind of moving into the space because it's such an inexpensive way to serve these customers. Um, it's also getting into big data analytics is something that Bruce Vanson noted in his most his most recent letter in big data analytics. What that allows you to do is look across your customer base, determine which customers have the right, right products, which customers don't have the right products, and then make a tailored pitch to those customers that don't have the right products that maybe need an additional one to kind of tease out why that would help them financially. So it's a pursuing, it's a multi-front war that banks are you. fighting, and citizens is, citizens is is, is on the on the vanguard of that. Yeah, and question for you, because like you're right, banks are trying to deal with all these things and trying to to update their services to match this digital world. Um, do you think that citizens is trying to get into too much at once, or do you think that this really makes sense for them? Uh, I think that, as they would say in contract law, time is of the essence, <laughs> <laughs> because. If, if you, with the millennial generation that has grown up with technology in their pocket and they expect that you know, that experience and be able to do everything that they want on their phone, and when you factor, when you add on top of that, the high switching costs that have traditionally been in the, in the banking space. Now, switching costs could change going forward, but let, assuming that they don't, if they don't change, these millennials, if they are not you know, if these banks are not providing these top-notch digital products to these millennials, millennials will just go elsewhere and they'll just stay at those banks and stay there forever. So these investments have got to be made right now. It, it, it's a non-optional thing for banks. Um, so, it, you know, to a certain extent, it would be nice if a bank like Citizens didn't have to throw so much money at these things simultaneously. But I, I don't think that's an option for them. Okay, totally fair. Um, and that kind of like brings me to my next point, which is... Um, they're investing all this money, they're growing, their story is in theory a turnaround story, they're on the upswing, but if someone's thinking about investing in this bank, um, there are some things they probably want to watch out for. Um, for me, we were talking earlier about the rapid loan growth, so that's something that I would want to keep an eye on to make sure that that doesn't change from like, oh, we just have a lot of room to grow in this area, to like, our underwriting processes are slowly getting worse and worse and worse. Right, yeah, and and another thing, and 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 just because all you know, just because like like I think that Citizens Financials is on the right track, and it looks to me like everything is like going really well. It looks to me like, given the fact that their stock is trading below book value, and and the trajectory of their earnings and the trajectory of their growth, that it looks like a compelling opportunity to me. I will tell you that the one thing that I learned last year when that Wells Fargo scandal came out was that you you're never sure. 
I mean, I was certain that Wells Fargo. I mean, I it, that sh- that I got to be like that really shocked me that Wells Fargo scandal because I had an immense amount of respect for John Stump and the way they ran that bank and the way they've run that bank for 160 years. And you, you, you can just never know for sure with these institutions. So the, that should always just stay in the back of people's mind, whether that's J.P. Morgan Chase, even with a guy as incredible as Jamie Dimon, or whether that's Wells Fargo or whoever it is, or Citigroup. I mean, you, you should always just be suspicious and kind of just innately at least, at least have that in the back of your head. Yeah. But another we thing- We should rename the show The Paranoid Investor. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Only the paranoid investors survive. I think that's what Andy Grove, the a former Intel CEO, that that was kind of his philosophy. <laughs> um, what were you going to say, though, the other thing? So the other thing, and, and we had, Gabby, you and I had talked about this earlier, was that um, Citizens Financial has had some bumps in the road. And the most recent bump in the road concerns its so-called Citizens Checkup Program. And the Citizens Checkup Program is, is pretty basic. It what citizens wanted it wants its employees to do is reach out to their customers. Now you know they the citizens is now investing in all you know this data analytics program. Now they want to reach out to these customers who may you know their their financial their, their product their their portfolio of financial products may not be ideal for, for these individuals, right? Because we all like accumulated a different you know a new account here a new account there, and then you get to like forty and you're like. Why do I have all these random accounts like $15 here and $10 here that I thought this was a good idea and this wasn't a good idea, but I could really use this? Basically, what Citizens Financial do, Citizens Financial wants its employees to do is to reach out to these customers, set up appointments to either uh, to call them on the phone or come into a branch, and then to have a, a quote-unquote financial checkup, kind of like a doctor checkup. Well, the problem that Citizens Financial employees ran into, allegedly, this is according to an article in, in the Wall Street Journal from er- earlier this year, is that they couldn't either get a hold, because we all know what sales calls are like, because that's basically what the, you know, somebody would oh, yeah. interpret these as. I would definitely hang up on that. Yeah, exactly, right? Or you wouldn't pick up on it. Or you wouldn't pick up the phone, right? Mm-mm. No, not at all. And, and so the we- problem they ran into is everybody was doing that. And so, yeah, right? So then they're like, they're being told to like make up all these appoint- make all these appointments, but like nobody will come into an appointment. They, they couldn't, they were having problems. And they, again, these are all allegations from the Wall Street Journal, okay? And so keep that in mind. These are just allegations. And so then the employees, what the, I, these employees allege, and I think there are about roughly a dozen employees that were used as sources for this story, what they allege is that they would then, just to make sure that they kept their jobs, they would make up these fake appointments and say that somebody had come in or, or, or hadn't come in or had canceled or whatever it was. So they were kind of inflating the number of appointments that they actually had. So that's not a good thing, okay? So number one, let's, let's not, let's, you know, I think it's, we need to be clear, that is not a good thing. But let me say this. If you look at the, the if you compare, say, the, the, what those allegations at Citizens to what happened at Wells Fargo, which is kind of the, the natural analogy that anyone's going to draw right now, there's, there's two points to make. Number one, in the wake of Wells Fargo scandal, there were, I mean, it was just a deluge of information in the media from other Wells Fargo employees who came out and said, not only were we doing this and all these other people were doing this and all these other people were doing it and just leak and leak and leak and leak and leak came out about this, but also Wells Fargo was mistreating its employees at the same time by, re- by, by firing them or demoting them or in some way um, uh, impacting their employment in a negative way because they tried to bring the scandal to light. Well, that just hasn't been the case at Citizens. After that initial Wall Street Journal article, you just haven't seen anything in the media about this. Okay, so which leads me to believe that this was not even close to as, 
as widespread yeah, as and, as and the, honestly the making up that I made a that I made a meeting with someone is very different than opening a fake account in their name and then having people be potentially charged fees because they don't know that this account exists. Um, but exactly. There is something to think about there and something to keep an eye on is just keep an eye on the story, A, and B, when stuff like this happens, regulatory bodies tend to start taking more interest in your bank, which can lead to increased cost. So the CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, may have a couple tentacles out there looking mm-hmm. at Citizens Financial. And that's just something that you kind of want to watch in the future. So that rapid loan growth, the um, the potential for this checkup story to, to blow up a little bit more, and the regulatory issues that might surround that. And I think that the third thing um, that you wanted to bring up actually was the change in the control of executive payments. So this is basically a golden parachute. And we talked a lot about this during, well, I didn't personally, but people talked a lot about this during the financial crisis, which is this idea that CEOs could kind of bail and take like this huge package of money with them, um, even though the company was failing. Right. And it's not even so much that it, right. So yes, that is that is factually accurate what you're saying. But it's not so much about if the company is failing so much in its sales. I mean, it, a company could be doing really well and it could be acquired and there's going to be a lot more concentration in the banking industry going forward. So there's going to be a lot of acquisitions and a bank like Citizens is either going to be an acquirer or an acquiree. Those are the well, two options. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but if you're an acquiree, in a case where you have change of control triggers, you know, that trigger payments to executives. So like, let's say citizens were to be purchased by another bank that could trigger, you know, a large payment to some of its executives. And, and as it, you know, there, there are reasons that companies put these kind of change of control payments in and, and the explanation that they provide that they, that the, the general explanation is that they do so in order to disincentivize hostile takeovers, because then it makes a hostile takeover much more expensive to, to actually complete. But the fact of the matter is, again, thinking in general rules, in the, in the context of general rules and exceptions, as a general rule, change in control payments like this, at least in my opinion, and this is how I've always interpreted it, and I, I feel like this is consistent with our philosophy at The Motley Fool, it's that those, as a general rule, are not investor-friendly mechanisms through which to uh, protect against a hostile takeover. No, this is this is exactly why your average citizen thinks of a banker as like a fat cat smoking a cigar um, and, and not as, you know, just a person. Um, so it's something and this is something that citizens has done recently. Um, and I, I believe that they addressed it a little bit in a transcript in a in a call transcript somewhere. Um, but it's just something to keep an eye out for because when stuff like that starts happening, you just kind of want to see if if anything anything might come of it. So I think that those are the big three things, right? The rapid loan growth, the checkup stories, and this golden parachute thing that they have constructed. Um, That's right. Very. But, but let me but let me just say one thing that you'll find you can find this information about any company in their proxy filings, which you yeah. can get on the SEC's Edgar website but and I know if you don't know, know how to do that just shoot me an email at industryfocus at fool.com and i will tell you how to do that yeah and also shoot gabby an email if you guys are interested in i wrote um a really comprehensive piece on citizens turnaround that we you know walks through all the things that bruce and i talked about also send gabby an e- email if you're interested in that and let me just close because i know we're running out of time gabby so let me just we close are. with one final thought um 
those concerns, even though we just covered those concerns and those should be on investors' minds, this looks like a really, it just, it, it just comes across as a bank that has a ton of positive potential in the future. And everything, most of the things that I have seen lead me to believe that it's an executive team that has the experience and the integrity to deliver that um, to shareholders. Um, now, that's not doesn't mean it's going to is a hundred percent, you know, a winner. But I, I think that uh, at least in my mind, um, this looks like a this looks like a, a very compelling opportunity. And after having said that, I think it's the perfect time to say, as usual, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear, um, especially today's episode. <laughs> Try and think critically. Um, if you want to keep talking about citizens, feel free to shoot us an email, like I said, at industryfocusatfool.com, or by tweeting us at mfindustryfocus. Um, Austin, thank you so much for putting up with me three times this week. You know, I it's been a long week. <laughs> Austin, Austin is a star. Austin. Austin is a star. I want everyone to know that. Um, I, I'm going to make him a cake one day. Um, all right. That's it for everyone. I hope everyone has a really great week. And I'm out. <laughs>